Good morning, this is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Live class with Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville, and we are currently studying the Gospels, and we are in Luke chapter 8, and we intend to finish up chapter 8 today before we venture on. And uh, we discussed the first part of chapter 8, which were uh, several stories leading up to uh, Christ sending out the, God, the uh, apostles for their big graduation run, which, which happens in chapter 9. And uh, then uh, Luke will kind of carry the story on into um, the Passion Play. So this kind of ends this period of teaching that Christ is going through as he's traveling around in the, uh, the Galilee area. And uh, Luke recounts two stories that are also preached in the other, uh, did I not give you one of those? Okay, there you go. Can I trade you this one for that one? Because that one's got my notes on it. There we go. Okay. Uh, so, the first one is uh, the healing of the demon-possessed man, and then the second is uh, dead girl and sick woman, which is the best explanation for that story as I can. They kind of uh, blend together, and they blend together in all three Gospels, so we're going to kind of address that. Now, the Gospels, we uh, all scholars have established, were written in uh, an order, and it started with Mark, who was Peter's disciple, and that's going to become important in a minute. And he wrote an account of each of these events. And then Matthew, uh, who was there, Mark was not, uh, elaborated on those events and kind of rewrote them for his own purposes. And then Luke comes in, who is a disciple of Paul, and he's a generation younger than the rest. And he is interviewing all the old men that were there, and he writes his own gospel, adding in a whole lot of detail because he's a uh, detail kind of guy. So, and each one kind of is aware of the, the, other, the other gospels, and so they've read the other gospels. I would not doubt that as they're writing their gospel, they've got the, the previous gospel sitting in front of them, you know, which is what I would do if I were Luke, you know. But... Uh, uh, but there are differences, and I think those differences are significant. So we're going to start with Mark and read his passage on the uh, demon-possessed man, and then we're going to read Matthew, and then we'll come to Luke and see what he's got to say. And I need to put this right here. Okay, so Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 says, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs. Wait, this is Matthew. I want to start with Mark. Do what you say you were going to do, Evans. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted in the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. So that's kind of out of order. Jesus said, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And this is how the spirit responded. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of Nazareth? Uh, swear to God that you won't torture me. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, sending us, send us among the pigs. 
and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. For those who had seen it uh, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. There are all kinds of weird little problems with this story. Does your little alert meter in your head go off with little red lights as you read this? Do you think, wait, does that sound right? I do, but then I'm a cynical, cynical man. Well, uh, gatherings. Let's start with gatherings. And we've studied this before when we did Mark and Matthew. Uh, Gadara, or Gadara, is a city that's about 30 miles south of the Sea of Galilee in the southern side. And I'm looking at a map here in my Bible, uh, which they nicely provided just underneath this reference because they knew that I was going to need to answer this question. And uh, the, the, the Gadarenes is the region around Gadara. Now, we can assume that that region goes up to the Lake of Galilee. So when they get off the boat at that particular shore, we can assume that that is the Gadarenes because you're facing Gadara. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's where they are. And I have uh, seen some interesting commentary that suggested that he wasn't even in Jerusalem, that he had been on the Sea of Galilee, and he was over near Spain when this happened, because there are these big tombs in Spain, and there are a bunch of pagans, and Greeks, and, and, and there would have been pigs, and all that. And it kind of makes sense if there were tombs, and cliffs, and pigs. But that's not where it says this is. It says it's in the region of Gadara. It's rather specific, actually. That's flatlands. There's no cliffs and there's no caves. And uh, there's a bunch of Hebrews who think pigs are unclean. And this wasn't a small herd. This was a gigantic herd of pigs. 2,000 pigs is a lot for a modern day pork facility to have. 2,000 pigs creates entire ponds full of methane within a month. You cannot picture the amount of waste that 2,000 pigs produce. It's, it's almost a little hard to swallow that there's 2,000 pigs in Jerusalem anywhere. Maybe there's a little family of Greeks that have a few pigs out back. 20 at most. But this is a commercial operation at 2,000 pigs. Who keeps 2,000 pigs? Why do, you, why do you worry about the pigs? Because I'm trying to put this picture into cultural context in the place where it is. I'm not questioning the authenticity of the Bible, okay? Understand that? But I need to understand what exactly is happening here. An estimate of 2,000 pigs? That's still a lot of pigs, Lester. Well, that's a tenth, a tenth of what they just said. One family? Okay. We're not talking about wild javelinas. This is somebody's... Wild pigs. Well, okay. So we have a man that is possessed of demons, and uh, he is breaking chains. Now, you know, in, in my sci-fi world, breaking change is a regular thing, you know, if you're a superhero. But the, th but the reason that that is so profound is that people don't break chains. There isn't enough human strength in your arm to break a shackle. You will break your bones first. 
So, if this guy's breaking chains, something else is going on here. I do believe that he broke the chains. But he, the demon is breaking the chains. He is, he is, he, he's, he's doing supernatural things. Yeah, I say if Samson could be empowered by God, yes. this gentleman could be empowered by multiple. Which multiple. is the only explanation. So they're giving him this immense strength, and he's completely out of his mind, evidently. And doing himself danger and is quite tortured and is living outside of society in some kind of cemetery. And uh, I admit it's been 2,000 years since this was written, and landscapes change over 2,000 years. Uh, but there have been numerous commentators to try to find the location of this. Uh, uh, event and they haven't. There's not anything that really fits it. And they want to relocate it and say it's a different city and get into the Greek and say, well, there weren't any vowels, so that maybe this is Syrah or whatever. And, you know, and uh, they keep coming back to it to try to move it somewhere else. But we have three accounts that all refer to Gadara. And I think it took place in Gadara. Okay, so we have a hopeless man who um, is possessed and Christ goes down toward Decapolis in the southern part of Galilee and he casts all of these demons into these pigs and the pigs go hurtling into Lake, Lake, uh, Lake Tiberias. And so the, the, the neighbors come out the people and they see a possessed man who's in his right mind and clothed and a bunch of un unclean animals have been destroyed if you were a Pharisee wouldn't this be good news for the man Noah? no for the people for the town for Gadara They ask him to leave. If they were Americans, there would have been accusations of lawsuit, you know. But uh, do you think it was about the man or was it about the pigs? I don't know. I watched you watch I think I, I'm surprised that, it, that they responded so negatively to him. This was bad news. After he got, got Yeah. Is it's bad news. And notice that when he tries to leave, maybe it's not in this passage, but it will be, the demon-possessed man asks to come with Christ. And Christ says, no, go back and tell people. He becomes a witness for him in Gadara. But he, Christ doesn't go into Gadara. These people are upset. Of course, 2,000 pigs just got drowned. The, the monetary value of that is huge. Yes, you know, there, there are a lot of irritated people, you know, he, he's done some damage to their little economy, whatever it was, even though the economy was, uh, flies in the face of Jewish custom, so it makes me think that these were Greeks, maybe, or they were very, very, very bad Jews to have this, this big of a pig, pig thing, you know, they're obviously selling the pigs to Greeks, they're not selling them to Jews, you know. Sure. Just like, you know, the Mormons can't drink caffeine and yet they own percentages of Coca-Cola. Oh, wait, did I say that on the recording? I apologize to all Mormons out there. I, I wouldn't suggest that you're hypocrites or anything. Was it Pepsi? Maybe it's Pepsi. I get my story straight. But they do own one. So we have this, this situation. So that's the story. Hey, sweetie, everything okay? Okay. Uh, so he, that's, that's Mark's version, and Mark's version is kind of short. And so Matthew picks up Mark's version, and, and I lost it. Where is it? Here we go. And Matthew, we assume, was there. And so he's going to retell the story. 
And we assume he's got Mark's gospel sitting there beside him as he's, as he's writing. So Matthew's version is, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, that is the same place, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Well, that's a pretty significant difference in detail. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So they're dangerous to other people as well. Uh, what do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance for them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank, steep bank, into the lake and died in the water. The, those tending the pigs ran off into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So what are the differences? There were two. I don't see that what the there's no cliff of the hill mine says hillside. Okay, I'll take hillside. You know, I, you know, you take ten people and it's the same story and they all have ten different stories. You know that's true. In fact, when uh, police investigators are trained, one of the things they look for is when three separate testimonies are absolutely identical in all the facts. Because that tends to say that those three guys talked about their story in the next room before they came in. Right. It's collusion. Because people remember different things differently. They emphasize things that are more important to them. Memory is not an exact science. And so maybe one of these guys was kind of prominent. And maybe one was in the background. You know, yes, there were two. But, uh, you know, when Mark hears the story secondhand, they're talking about the one guy that Jesus was dealing with. You know, the, the dangerous one up front that everyone was afraid of. And evidently in Matthew, they're attacking people. And he wasn't attacking people in Mark. He was breaking chains. So they have attacked people, and they have been bound and chained and broken free. So this is kind of a problem. We've got uh, a demon-possessed man who is dangerous. And Christ heals them, goes into the pigs, and again, the people come back and uh, complain because he, uh, we don't know. Yeah. We assume it's about the pigs. They don't want him there. Okay, so then we go to Luke who is Paul's disciple, as I said, and is uh, interviewing people. And he is writing this story secondhand. And I assume he has got a copy of both Mark and Matthew sitting in front of him as he writes his version. They, uh, this is uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, same place, which is across the lake from Galilee. So he made sure that we're talking about the right lake here. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. So he's naked. That's a new detail. When we saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his force, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. And that almost is a direct quote from Mark, and it probably is a direct quote from Mark. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. That's a new detail. So these demons don't want to be cast back into hell. 
Isn't that what that means? I think so. Which means that demons don't hang out in hell and think it's a bad place. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? They think it's a good place. They don't want to go there. Right. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. You know, in popular fiction, you know, the cartoon character dies and goes to hell and he, he meets the devil who is uh, a big monster who's red and has horns. And he has all these little minions who gleefully torture you and get a lot of pleasure from their own torture. They're little sadists. And there's this whole little community in hell that's all established. Yeah, it's it's evil for its fun's sake. Yeah, I never got that. Why would God reward devil and demons? Right. So, demons yeah. aren't in hell. Demons are here. Hell is where they're going to be sent in the end as a punishment. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go into the abyss, which is, by the way, the old Arabic concept of worldview. But, you know, anyway, same thing. Uh, so this is a bad thing. So I think that tells us something about demons. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go and tended them. <coughs> And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Do you see a do you see a fact missing? Luke, who is the detail guy, who gives us numbers of things does not give us a number that we've already been given in one of the other two accounts. Hmm. How many pigs were there? 2,000. Not according to Luke. <laughs> Luke is looking at that. It's, it's right there in front of him in his notes. Luke does not include the 2,000. Maybe he knew somebody guessed. No one I'm, I'm thinking you're right. I'm thinking there's, there's an estimate, there's an overestimation. Right in Matthew's account, or maybe Mark's account. You know, um, I don't know. I think Luke, 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 we assume, was interviewing people, talking to people that were there. He's, he's got their versions of it to get the story straight, and then he's writing his version for Gentiles. And he needs it to be accurate. He needs a, a true and factual account. It's kind of like uh, maybe when Peter <coughs> caught up in the moment, and he was like, yeah, there have been like 2,000 pigs. A preacher prone to exaggeration? I've never <laughs> heard of such. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, when uh, Biden was running for president, and uh, the news began to know a thousand people in this candidate, and then it'll probably maybe a couple hundred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think there might have been a little good old Texas hyperbole going on. Right. Yeah, just a little bit of exaggeration to make our point. 2,000 pigs. But, you know, the sheer economics of 2,000 pigs is, is, is hard to get your head around. Yeah. Luke drops the number. So, okay, Luke. I, I think Luke's on my side on that one. So he rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. So we've had time to dress him and calm him down and get him cleaned up and he's unrecognizable. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people in the region of the Gerasenes, now this is a large region that covers about 50 square miles plus, uh, asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and he left. I still don't understand the fear. Maybe they didn't believe he was healed. They knew what he did in the past. In that case, then what's the fear? Nothing's changed. Can you read that verse again? Sure. Those who had, uh, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. 
So he got in the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. End of Luke's account. Um, I think anything involving Satan is scary to some people. But I wonder if some of those people were also not demonly possessed and they were afraid. What an interesting idea. Wouldn't want to be sought out. Okay. How did he get demon possessed? He had a little cult going on there. Yeah, and this guy just wiped out the cult. Good. There were bad things going on in the garrison. Further west was a very, very pagan area. It was completely non-Jewish. It was all Greek and, and whatevers. And uh, Nicopolis was ten little cities all together, and it was kind of a mix from what I could tell. There were some Jews and there were other Gentiles. And this was an area where there was a fairly large group of uh, non-Hebrew people. So, yeah, that's a really good explanation that hasn't occurred to me. Okay. Any other thoughts on this one? The what? Diversity. Diversity? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and demon possession. So I don't think the Hebrews were really big on diversity. They 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 were on purity of of, 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 of faith, I think. Now they would bring in somebody from house from another culture, another uh, it, it wasn't racial. It wasn't like that, but it was it was religious. You had to follow their way, and so that's where the whole baptism idea came in. You, you, they, if you were joining the Jewish faith, if you were a Greek or an Arab or something like that that was marrying into a Hebrew family, well, that wasn't going to happen unless you had become a Hebrew. And if you went through the baptismal ceremony and and you know passed their little catechism, whatever that was then they made you a Jew and, and you were Jewish. You know, and that's still true to this day. There are whole communities of black Jews in Africa. You know, they're, 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 good, they're good with that, you know. But it's, uh, it's a matter of purity of faith. They don't have much tolerance for a wide uh, interpretation of scripture. Understandably so. Okay. So, uh, the second story that ends Luke chapter 8 is uh, what my Bible titles a dead girl and a sick woman. Uh, and you really can't separate these two stories. They're part of the same story, and they're recounted in all three Gospels again. So just like before, let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark, Mark, and lost it, of course. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, so he has gone to the other side of Galilee, which I'm assuming, well, we're looking at the lengthwise of Galilee, so we're looking at maybe Bethsaida, somewhere around there. Um... Uh, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jarius came there seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, A little daughter, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. Remember, this is Mark speaking. <clears throat> when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. 
he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole story. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was speaking, someone came from the house of Jarius, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler. Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this time, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So the synagogue, we've talked about this before. Uh, when the Jews were in captivity. They did not have access to the temple. So they organized a synagogue system, which was a layman's thing. And so it wasn't priests. Uh, several wealthier guys in an area would build a little church, not the temple, a little church, and they would meet on the Sabbath and they would discuss scripture. They would sing songs and worship and they would go home. They would have a little service. There weren't any sacrifices taking place at the synagogue. The synagogue was not run by priests. Priests were welcome. You could come in and teach at the synagogue. But <clears throat> the, the synagogue was run by the community. And usually you would have a group of men, kind of a city council, who would be in charge of it, and they would put one guy with the keys, and he might handle the scheduling and figure out what's going to happen when. Uh, Sabbaths were always reserved for religious ceremony, but, you know, it's a big building that everybody owns sitting around for the rest of the week, so if you're going to have your big family reunion or your five-year-old birthday party, that would be a good place to do it, but you've got to check in with some guy to make sure that nobody else is going to be there, just like in a modern community center. Does that make sense? Well, the ruler of a synagogue is the community center manager. It sounds like he's the mayor. He's, he's not. Now, he's probably a recognized, upper-middle-rich member of the community or they wouldn't give him this job because he was probably on that council to begin with you know but that's who he is <clears throat> now in all of these stories do they ever mention the name of the person did they mention the name of the woman with the issue do we mention the name of the demon other than legion not this one but here we do what does that tell us? His name is Jairus. Mark is recording what Peter tells him. And most commentators speculate that Peter knows Jairus. Now they're up around Bethsaida, which is kind of a little further north than Capernaum. And he may be close to Capernaum, where, where Peter is from. And so this may be an acquaintance of Peter. Peter's a businessman in the area. <clears throat> this guy may be too. This guy may be his competitive fisherman. He knows this guy somehow. So he tells him Jarius came out, and Mark records this. So he's known to Peter, and he's the master of the synagogue. Uh, and he asked Jesus to come heal his daughter. Usually they bring the, 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 
to stick to Christ. And every once in a while, Christ makes a house call, and this is one of those. And as he's going, and he's got a crowd of people around him, the woman with the issue comes up and touches his robe. So we've got all kinds of different things going on all at once here. And they're trying to kind of capture the chaos. So what does this mean? She's, had, she's been bleeding for 12 years. We assume that this is some kind of a feminine condition. <coughs> and if you're menstruating, you are unclean in the eyes of the temple, and you may not enter the temple at all during Sabbath. There is no way to get clean. You, you wait it out. However, she's constantly menstruating, and that's keeping her unclean. And not only is she unhealthy and having a health issue, but she's now become an outcast from society. This is a pretty heavy burden to bear. And Mark points out that she has gone to many doctors, spent all her money, and is still, still has the problem. So she's been fighting this for quite a while, and she has become desperate. So, she believes in Christ. She sneaks up and touches his robe from the back. She doesn't speak to him. She just touches him, and her faith heals her. And then Christ says, who touched me? Do you think it's possible that Christ didn't know who touched him? Can you sneak up a God? No, I think he knew. I think he knew, too. Uh, why does Christ say, hey, who touched me? Is this about her? She knows who touched him. He knows who touched him. What's the show for? It's for the disciples. He's still teaching them. He's still trying to make a point. And what do they do? They scold him. The disciples scold Christ a lot. Have you noticed? Yeah. It always turns into a teaching yeah. moment. And then their disciples go and write all their scolding down. I'm sure Peter was embarrassed on multiple occasions <laughs> when Mark was writing his story. Uh, so he tells them that her, you know, he, he points her out and he shows that her faith has healed her. This is a lesson for his disciples. Uh, you know, I think that probably there were multiple people touching him at that point. Yeah. I'm sure he was surrounded. He's walking through a crowd. So just to say, when he said, who touched me, it let them know that he meant who touched me. Yeah, something me. different. And she something knew, really and she happened. confessed. Yeah, so she, she got it. it. He was talking to her. So. I have, to, I have to believe. You know, some people say when they pray for, they'll feel a tingling or they'll feel a sensation. She must have felt something when she touched him. She was healed, I think. Mm. You know, she knew she was healed. Um, <clears throat> I had some commentators try to make the point that she had had this issue for 12 years, and then the girl was 12 years old in the passage that, uh, that comes after that. And 12 is a number of completeness, and Christ is trying to say, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I take that with some salt, with a grain of salt. I, I, I think you can read too much into stuff. Uh, yes, she had been suffering for a very long time, and yes, the little girl was 12. Uh, I don't know that that means anything in and of itself. Um, and so. So I was, uh, I got a question. So was a woman healed when she touched? Was it? Or was it that she healed when Jesus said your faith healed you? It looks to me like she was she was healed when she touched him. Yes. Because <clears throat> he said daughter, he said, Your faith has made you well, so that means has yeah. made you well. Not He's telling her what's just happened. Yeah, basically. Going. So some commentators getting into the dead girl, Jairus' daughter. Uh, have suggested that Christ was fooling around with this woman with the issue in order to stall so that the girl will die. Then he would go heal her and it would be more spectacular. 
Robert in pizza. <laughs> I mean, he did that with Lazarus to make a point, but I don't think this is the case. I think it's just what happened happened. Did he or did he just did Lazarus just died before he got there? Christ wasn't in a hurry. You know, I don't know if it was on purpose that he was in a hurry. Of course, I just said he knows everything, didn't I? I don't know. Um, that's been suggested. So he uh, goes to the girl, and uh, we've got all these people who are mourning outside. Now, she just died. That seemed quick the first time I read it. How long does it take to throw the funeral together? In Texas, about a week and a half. Uh, in Jewish culture, you have 24 hours to get that body underground. You know, they were not embalming, and uh, that there were uh, there were ancient scripture that told you the procedure. It's, it was to to keep things healthy. You know, you wanted to bury the body within 24 hours. And there was a tradition among Jews, particularly wealthier ones, and we're assuming that that Jarius, Jarius is in the other half of the middle line, you know, uh, you would, in order to honor the person who passed, you hired mourners and you wanted lots of people crying and wailing out front to show how heartbroken everyone is. And if there aren't, you know, if there's only three people in the family, you hire somebody to come to your wailing for you because your wailing is a little unseemly. Does that make sense? So, there were poor people who made their living going from funeral to funeral, taking a small fee and loudly crying and wailing for a couple of hours until that body gets buried. And then they go to the next funeral and they loudly cry and wail there. They were professional funeral mourners. Now, most people believe that that is what's happening. So they found out that they were waiting on this girl to die. They heard she was sick. They were hanging out two blocks away. As soon as they get word, they move in because this is the moment when mom and dad are going to be so heartbroken, they are going to be quickest to part with some money so that they can, can cry out front. You know, they're taking advantage. You got to strike when the iron is hot in this business. So they've moved in, and uh, even though Jarius himself is gone, getting the healer, they've moved in and we assume mom has paid them and they're crying out front uh, and, and making a lot of noise, you know, announcing that this girl has passed. And when Christ said, the child is not dead but asleep, okay, these are mourning people crying, suddenly they laugh at him. That's not, that's not, and Agnes, his heart is broken. You know what I'm saying? This is, these are professionals. And they laugh at him to scorn him because he's cutting in on their business here, you know? Uh, don't, don't come in and mess this up. We're, we're creating a scene so we can marry this, bury this girl. Don't go causing trouble, you know? They're not real happy about this. And so I think that's what the laughing part is about. The Christ sends them away and he steps in and heals the girl. And notice as a detail, he takes in Peter, James, and John. He leaves the rest of the disciples out front. Uh, Peter went in. Mark is Peter's disciple. So Peter, we assume, is the uh, one providing the testimony. Okay. Am I talking too much? No. Okay. Uh, I was listening to a preacher on YouTube preaching about this. Uh -huh. He said, <clears throat> when Jesus said, would a girl arise? He said, uh, if he didn't say, what a girl, everybody in the great, great. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I don't know how <laughs> don't true know that true is. Or not, but I don't know how close was. It <laughs> could be if he wanted to be. Oh, yeah. yeah. It could be, yeah. I, I don't know that Christ is going to make a mistake and raise right. every girl everywhere. Uh, Matthew uh, uh, 9, 18 tells the same story. And Matthew, we assume, is reading Mark's account when he reads it. So Matthew was not there, remember, and uh, because only Peter, James, and John went inside, but he was probably one of the people standing outside the house when that happened. Does that make sense? So while he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. Matthew doesn't know his name. And said, my daughter has just died, but, came and, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. 
Jesus got up and went with him, and, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, so he had that number down, came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. That's an interesting tidbit. That wasn't in there. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. I assume that Matthew spoke with her at some point, and she told him, if I only touch his cloak, I knew I'd be healed. Verse 23, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. She got up and news of this spread all throughout the region. Okay, so there's Matthew's slightly different version of the same account. Question. Yes. So was the little girl really dead or was she just asleep like Christ says? The mourners were there. Uh, yeah, but they're hoping they're they're hoping for a death so they can get paid. So maybe they weren't quite paid yet. Yeah, the mourners were there. Think so. Yeah. Okay. I think that proves it. Uh, they were waiting on her to die so that she could come in and get this kid. You know what I'm saying? So uh, if they were in the living room, then she was gone. Okay, that's thinking. Uh, you, like you, don't, you, you don't pay the You know, I was thinking more close to the brink of death, like maybe coma or. You don't pay the mourner until the child dies. Okay. It's bad luck, I think. I wouldn't. I don't know that for a fact, but you know, uh, I think you, you 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 call the doctor until she's dead. Then you call the mourner. Like the mourner, they bully their way in. Okay. All right. You had to pay for mourners. Yes. Did you miss that part? Yeah. Probably straight away when I was bored. They were. Uh, they were. They were professional mourners. And I'm running out of time. We got a late start. I'm going to read this passage really quick. So, Luke chapter eight. <clears throat> now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they all ex were ex they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, his only daughter? A girl of about 12 was dying. That's the first time I see only daughter. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding uh, for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Uh, notice that Luke, the doctor, leaves out that little tidbit that Mark does about how all the doctors were useless and uh, she'd spend all her money. <laughs> Luke left that out. Interesting, huh? Uh, she then came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power's gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, went trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, and now she had instantly healed then she said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's mother and father. That's an, an extra detail that we didn't have before. Meanwhile, all the people are wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Uh, does, that, does that answer your question? Okay. Uh, but he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Why would he do that? Oh, we've talked about this. You guys are no fun today. Is it all me? Well, there's one of two explanations. Uh, either he wants to accomplish the opposite by telling them don't tell. Which is the Dwayne Evans theory. Yeah. But both of these, look at both of these healing. He said both said that he got healed by your faith. Yes. Yes. But uh, finish. And then the other explanation is that all of a 
honestly just for fear his own, not fear, but the practicality of his own life. He couldn't move about if yeah. thousands of people were yeah. He's got huge crowds following him. We know he's being dogged by Pharisees. Uh, and several times he tells people not to spread this because he's trying, we assume that he's trying to control the hysteria. And that's why he's not preaching in Jerusalem in the synagogue because, or in, in the temple because they're going to they're going to rebel against him eventually. So he, he knows his time hasn't come, and he's trying to make to, to control things. And so that's why we assume he says that. That or my father's theory was that when you tell somebody not to do something, you're absolutely guaranteed that they're gonna. Right. <laughs> And and, and so that if you tell that guy he can't tell anybody, at least it's going to get away from you a little bit before he starts telling everybody. And that spreads the word kind of in the under on the down low, but at the same time kind of controls the hysteria. So maybe that's maybe maybe it's both. I don't. I really don't think he was being manipulative. He didn't have to be manipulative. I think he honestly said, "Don't tell." And there's always going to be somebody who does tell, but I bet there were many who did not. They obeyed his command. Yeah. So it did at least decrease the chaos some. Um, but it's it's impossible to contain miracles like that. True. If, if, you and know, if he didn't tell, somebody else is going to, because yeah. there are a lot of people that were there. You know, you got that on? No, it's on. We're still going. we got a few more minutes. Okay. Oh, you're done? Lester just took it down. Okay. With that, we are five minutes cutting into the service, and uh, we need to shut this down. So uh, hopefully, Nathan and Andrew, you are listening, and you will study this and be ready for Chapter 9 next week. Bye.